Hey guys, I'm Adam Rappaport, and this is the Bonham Foodcast. All right, this week we have two great segments for you. First up, Molly Boz talks with Carla Lolly Music about what is debatably the most epic recipe that Molly has ever developed for basically the Big Ass Beach Hoagie. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the Big Ass Beach Hoagie. That is what it's called, and it is amazing. And after that, I chat with Andy Barragani about the beautiful tomato recipes he developed for our August issue, which is on newsstands now. Before we get started, I want to let you know that Team BA will be representing at the Outside Lands Music Festival in San Francisco's majestic Golden Gate Park from August 9th to 11th. In addition to performances by folks like Paul Simon and Childish Gambino and 21 Pilots, the Lumineers and Leon Bridges, Molly Boss, Andy Barragani, and I will be performing on the Gastro Magic stage, cooking up all sorts of delicious things with musicians, comedians like Jimmy O. Yang. Uh, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be amazing. We hope to see you there. And you can get tickets for Outside Lands on sale now at sfoutsidelands.com. That is sfoutsidelands.com. And we will be performing on the Gastro Magic stage on that Saturday, August 10th. All right, now let's do this. Here is Molly Boz with Carla Lolly Music talking about the best on-the-go sandwich of all time. The first thing I want to say about the big ass beach hoagie is I can't believe that this is actually named big ass beach hoagie. And is everybody okay with that? Well, it's also the first recipe that I think Sarah Jampel published as the editor of basically so i feel like she was like i'm gonna do the cool thing do the right thing and call it a big ass beach hoagie wow. and just gain the respect of my colleagues really stuck her neck out on that one i mean but so far no people seem it. people seem very pleased yeah i've been getting tagged in some I, big ass beach hoagies i heard today that our one of our social media managers um emily schultz said it's her second most liked image of all time and let me say that is a lot of images yeah I would say that the world that we live in right now is having a bit of a hoagie mom. Yeah. What's up with hoagies? Can we just like... They're just great for Instagram. Oh, because of all the layers. I feel like the the construction and then you cut in it and you get that clean cut and the sort of like gradient of all the meat. And just like that cross-sectional image is really iconic on Instagram. Okay. So I wasn't planning on starting here, but how much do you think about that going into the recipe development and like where did... Where did the idea of this beach hoagie come from? Well, I think about Instagram a fair amount. I don't know if it's like Instagram specific, but the visuals of it specifically. And basically, it's sometimes tricky to shoot just because we shoot in this like weird whitewashed world. But since we've pivoted to allowing for different camera angles in basically, which we didn't used to, like we can now shoot into the sandwich, which like we never used to be able to do. So the whole world was opened up. So I feel like we sort of turned away from sandwiches in the first couple of years of basically because we were like we don't know yeah if you're shooting a sandwich top down you just see a slice of bread at the end of the day so i think we were it was like we were long overdue for a sandwich and i feel like maybe that cross-section photo really had a a moment a couple years ago too with the with the uh, all the bagels that had come Ugh, in yeah. on the scene, and then so you would get sandwiches. your bagel right and cut it in half, and then fold the two halves back so they were side by side, and then that was like a thing to the point where it makes you crazy. But I do think there is a looks aside, 
a natural affinity between this style of sandwich and going to the beach. And what's that? That's a great question. I don't know what it is. I think actually the reason that we called it big ass beach hoagie, it, I think first it was going to be like picnic hoagie. Right. I mean, it's kind of just like the hoagie on the road, the road hoagie. <laughs> and then we were like, but, but it's summer, so beach. Okay. So it's like a roadie hoagie. It's a, yeah, like a road sewed, but make it road hoag. Got it. <laughs> Take your hoag on the road. Yeah. And the cool thing, the cool thing about not it. Because everybody lives on the coast or like near a lake right. or whatever, it's, you know it's kind of presumptuous to assume that people are taking it to the beach. They're just taking it outside of their house. And the cool thing about the recipe is because it calls for Italian hoagie bread or a a large Italian sub as the bread of choice, those usually come in these big paper sleeves. Right. And the whole thing is that like after you wrap the hoagie up, you shove it back in the sleeve that it came from and just throw it under your arm like a little French boy with a baguette. Except you're an American <laughs> boy going to the beach. Yeah. Okay. Well, you skipped to the, you'll skip, you skipped, that's premonitious. But yes, yeah. there is something great about, so let's talk about the first thing you need to do is go buy the like right kind of bread. And right. that wasn't easy. Was I remember thing. there was like a wild goose chase about this seeded loaf. Yes. But in mm, the hoagie's defense. We live in, we work in this weird pocket of Tribeca where there's only like fancy schmancy, bougie grocery stores. And so Whole Foods isn't making classic hoagie rolls. And what what did you want? Like, how do you define a classic hoagie roll? Well, first of all, it had to be at least like 12 inches long because this least. is going to feed four people. And then I really wanted one that was sesame seeded, which is a whole nother thing because you can sometimes find them at grocery stores without but I love the little crunch and the little flavor of the sess so that was tricky I don't even think we shot it with the sesame did we I don't remember anyway either will do but you kind of have to go to either like an Italian deli Italian specialty food market or just like a very run-of-the-mill grocery store like your basic grocery store where you go to the bakery area and they've got the stuff yeah. behind the counter and the glass but the then bins. those big baskety bins where yeah. they just have like all of those. That's where that's going to be. And it's going to already be in this paper sleeve. Yeah. And the thing about it is that, like, it's specifically not a very crunchy loaf. And right. so, like, it's okay that after it gets baked, it probably, like, immediately goes into the sleeve and starts steaming because you can't bite into a hoagie that's as big as this one with a crusty exterior. You'll tear your mouth up. You tear your mouth out. You'll also squeeze the entire contents of the sandwich right, right, right out. out the caboose of the sand. <laughs> yeah, it'd be yeah, terrible. So but highly let's considered. be real for one second. If you, the only roll, if the only hoagie roll you can find does not have the seeds, can you just like? Yeah, yeah. Okay, you can do it without. And I mean, you you could, you can't do it on a baguette. It's too skinny. You yeah. could do it on like Kaiser rolls, mm-hmm. individuals. Those would be fun, and you could cut into those and get a cute cross section. Cool. So okay. Four. So there's a few things that that I really love about what's going on in this sandwich. There's a flavored mayonnaise, not just an average mayonnaise, but like yeah. a souped up mayonnaise. Not like mayonnaise has a, a lot of flavor. Side story: I had a BLT yesterday. I saw it. Very hungry, and I ended up at a sub shop, which is not where you usually get a BLT, but like. Someone had said BLT like 48 hours before. And so it was just like, <laughs> just there I was. You. And I was like, oh, on the menu, they had a ho- they had a sub BLT, which I got and enjoyed. However, I asked for mayonnaise and hot sauce. Mm-hmm. And they mixed the two together. Mm-hmm. And it really, it really took the mayo to another level. Yeah. So that's a little bit t- just 
talk about what is happening, how you're using this ingredient, this pepidou and, and your jardinera. Okay, so I created a zhuzhed up mayo, if you will. And part of what I think is important about a hoagie is contrasting all of that intense meat and cheese content with something pickly, briny, acidic. Um, so one way to get your pickle moment in there is to take jardinera, which is like an Italian mixed pickle um, that you find jarred at the supermarket. Again, not really a highbrow product. Um, if you're in a sub shop, they might just have it up on top of the counter yeah. in those giant like three gallon glass jars yes and it's like there's cauliflower in there there's carrots Carrots. in there there's peppers in there it's like it's a a whole mixed pickle sitch so you just take a cup of mixed jardinera pickles and just chop them super fine and then fold them into the mayo so you're making like a crunchy vinegary briny mayonnaise to cut through all the provolone and the ham and the mortadella and all the stuff and then to further drive home the acidic note, I've added pickled pepidou peppers that are just quartered and strewn about the sandwich because they're sweet and spicy and acidic. So creates kind of like a more dynamic experience. Yeah, I like the texture of the pepidou also because they're a little thinner and like they have a little snap to them. Yeah. Unlike like a pickled. They're what a bell pepper wishes maybe it were. Right. And if I think you can find, it's easy to find jarred roasted red peppers, but they might not have that briny. Yeah. They're um, just kind of sweet. They're kind of sweet and maybe oily. Yeah. So, and then the... Yeah, the meat of the matter. Yeah. No pun intended. I mean, I fully intended. Uh, is like, there's a lot of meats. Three meats. Three meats. One pound of meats, I think. No, three, two, three. Yes, one pound. Three yep. thirds of a pound. Three thirds <laughs> <laughs> of one pound is a pound. So thinly sliced cooked ham. Yeah. So is that like Black Forest? Could be. I like specifically left it unspecific just so that it's like, whatever you have access to. The the important part about these three meats is that all of them are achieving a different goal within the sandwich. So it's the trifecta of sandwich meats. Oh, wow. Okay, th- so what is the ham achieving? So the ham is just like your straight down the middle pork flavor. Okay. So it's sort of like unadulterated pork. Okay. Next up, mortadella. Extremely fatty. Yes. Unctuous, luscious. Beefy. Beefy. Might have Porky. a pistachio in there. Yeah, so like lots of fat. Really smooth on the palate. Very. Okay, and then next down, thinly sliced soppressata, which I usually go for a spicy one, but a cured meat. So something that has like a little bit more funk to it and often has spice in it in the form of red pepper flake or something the like. And that's going to be, they're all salty, but I feel like soppressata, your cook salami, the salami family. Right, the most highly seasoned. Pretty highly cured seasoned. in salt. Okay. So I think it's like you can kind of get creative within there. If you don't have mortadella and you use bologna, that's great. Love bologna. Um, <laughs> any kind of cooked ham, spicy soppressata, sweet soppressata, salami. You could even use like a thinly sliced cured chorizo. Could you use one of the, you know, the really, the pepperoni, the big pepperoni? Yeah, you yeah can. I think that would be good. Bologna and a pepperoni hoagie? Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> good. And then provolone. Yeah. Did you hear my voice go down at the end? Yeah. I can tell you're disappointed. But I was choosing between provolone and fresh moths because they felt like the two sort of classic options. And I just, 
I don't really care about fresh mozzarella unless it's like extremely fresh, high quality fresh mozz. Like I you mean, just made it. You know about that. Like maybe you went to Italy to try it. <laughs> right. But and I can also understand how. Yeah. On like a, a meat and cheese plate, some fresh mozzarella would be really nice. But in this sandwich, I worry about the moisture content and it yeah. just it's leaching. Too bland. Right. It's a little bland and it's like it's wet. Yeah, it's wet. Um, but provolone can be. I don't know. I always have to try the the one that they're slicing because sometimes they are so sharp mm-hmm. that it's just like kind of kills me. Yeah. I might go if it were me just getting to make my own choices at the counter. Mm. What would you choose? I'm kind of basic. I go in for Munster. Wow. Yeah. Do they even have that? Yeah. Oh, big time. At the deli? Yeah, I guess so. I'm thinking like an Italian sub shop. Sure. They're going to have They have it. Munster. They have boar's head. I guess... What would my other choice be? Oh, I don't know. I mean, you're not going to put cheddar. You're not going to put Swiss. I might put pepper jack on it. Just mm. make everybody mm. really crazy. Provolone's classic. It is. If you like it, taste it. I like aged provolone. Like, I like the sharpness, and I feel like if you're into it, this sandwich can certainly handle it because there's a lot of other stuff going on to kind of balance out that, like, hot mouth that it gives you. Right. Okay, <laughs> so for more balance and cooling powers... We have one of our faves, the iceberg. Oh, yeah. The shreddies. The shreddy letty. Yeah. So necessary. Yeah. But how do you keep that from not getting soggy? I think it gets kind of soggy. Like, it's not, this isn't a salad. Let's just be clear. It's a sandwich. And there's a lot of it on here. So it's not just like a few little strands that are getting like smooshed in between. I think there's a half of a head, yeah, which is a lot. So when you are actually constructing the sandwich, it's probably as high in lettuce as it is in everything else, all the other ingredients combined, but it compresses so much when you put the top of the bread on. Okay, well, let's talk about that because there was kind of a breakthrough moment in the construction assembly portability. Yeah. So are you talking about the way we like wrap it and do the yeah, thing? Yeah. So you have this voluminous, you have like a lot of meats which need to get shingled down the way. Yeah. There's onions, there's cheese, there's the layer of pepidus. Then you've got your pile of lettuce, mm. top bun, and yeah, you can push down on it. But it's I remember still. seeing you cutting it and it was just like, I was walking by in the middle of a tasting and you know, the heel end of the sandwich basically like broke off like an iceberg iceberg flow and just left. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think the way that we devised that makes the most sense is to wrap. I think we cut it in half. So already now you have this like 12, 18 inch sub. It's a little bit more manageable because now it's between six and eight inches. Wrap that tightly in plastic. And then that kind of like pulls everything together, tightens up the ship. And gives you something to sort of saw against. So you're really wrapping using that plastic kind of with some tension. Yeah. To, to like double down. You you're describe making like it a torsion. Right. And in the recipe, you kind of refer to it it's as a girdle. girdle. I did not write that. Okay, <laughs> you that didn't? Was, no. Oh. I don't think I've ever said the word girdle and certainly not in the context of a big ass beach hoagie. Wow. It must have been Jampy Jamperini then. Yeah. She said it acts sort of like a girdle holding in all of the meat, cheese, and veg so that they won't fly out. Oh, there's a word missing here. They won't fly out when you slice smaller segments. Yeah. So then what you can do once you've wrapped it, girdled it up, sliced it up, you can wrap it one more time and 
uh, plastic to keep it contained and then shove it back into the bag it came with and then off to the beach. Okay, so when you slice it in half, you wrap each half in plastic separately or together? Like, do you separately. push them back together? But so you have two separate plastic wrapped halves. Yeah. And then you you cut each of those in half again. So now you have four segments. Yeah, and that's one sandwich per person. Right. And then you can, like, wrap that those that whole thing up in plastic wrap, slide it back in the bag. Yeah. And or then you, you just got eat it like, right then and there. Well, sure. And, which is exactly what we did. We just yeah, kneeled, stood over, you know, bent over the counter. kitchen island. Yeah. It was very delicious. We did debate the amount of meats. Oh, we went down. So from that debate, it was originally a half a pound of each. Um, and we ended up going down to a third each to balance it a little. Yeah. I mean, it's still like an outrageously large hoagie right but that's kind of what makes it special totally you know and it should have the right amount to like go th- through those layers so if your yeah. bread layer you have your creamy crunchy mayo layer lots of meats but then the sharp things and the cheese and the kind of cooling fluffy lettuce and hoagie rolls are like pretty sturdy and thick like that's oh, yeah. a lot of bread this yes. isn't this isn't like a tortilla Say no burrito. <laughs> no, no. I mean, no, be a lot this is not like a little open face situation on a wasser no, cracker. It's no tartine. Um, there is something about the second you get to the beach, it's just like you want to take out that sandwich, Ugh. bag of chips, oh freezing god. cold coke. Oh my god! Or maybe a beer. It depends a on beer. the beach. Beer on ice or shandy. Shandy and then like big. some cut up watermelon on the side. Totally. Oh my god! And like kind of before you even get in the water. Yes, yeah, the first thing. You know. And then you go into the water and then you can kind of, don't you feel like the water helps you digest? Sure. Like it helps move everything around. Like you just ate this maybe one pound per person hoagie and then you just float around and right. like let the water take care I of it. I think that myth of like don't go in the water after you've eaten because you'll get a cramp. I think that has been debunked. Yeah. No, yeah. it's actually a great thing to do. Just move the bot around. Yeah. Yeah. Get things flowing. Oh, love a hoagie. Love the beach. Yeah. Why but are we not there right now? Because if you're near a lake... Or you have a nice picnic spot or yeah. a campfire just because it says big ass beach hoagie. Just sub your own recreational like outdoor space in there. Right. Or just eat it at the kitchen counter. Yeah. Big ass kitchen hoagie. Yeah. Big ass, certain ring to big it. ass backyard hoagie. <laughs> oh, that's good. Big ass BBQ hoagie. Totes. There's so many ways. Big ass baby shower hoagie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let it get messy. You're, you know, and then just hose yourself off. Mm. I want one right now. <laughs> it sucks that it's Monday. Is it Monday? Right now it is. Oh, in my mind it was Tuesday no. at least. Mm-mm. Sorry, hon. All right. Soon it'll be the weekend again and you can have a hoagie. Okay. Okay. Thanks for chatting. Hey, anytime. <laughs> Andy Birgani, this pod goes live on July 31st, which is, I think it's fair to say, kind of like the just the start of peak tomato season here in the northeast yes the start of peak tomato season i'm gonna throw a hypothetical your way you go to the farmer's market see some beautiful heirloom tomatoes ripe fragrant heavy you buy a a satchel of them you get them home what are you doing with them first uh i would probably take a bite out of one like i would an apple and then sprinkle a bit of salt and take another bite just out of hand oh i ate this is how i would eat them as a child I love really? them so much. Wow. Okay. Was not expecting that as the answer. Oh, yeah. Just completely treat it like an apple. Bite it some flaky salt. No oil, no vinegar. Just just simple like that. That's pretty cool. I think I would probably do 
I was thinking about that. I was probably two notions. One would be good country bread, lightly toasted, way too much mayonnaise, slices of tomatoes, and then yeah, malted sea salt, and just I can eat. I'm like, oh, I'm going to have one of these, and next thing you know, I've had three of those. See, I think I would definitely do that. That would be my second thing that mm. I would do. I love a kind of fully loaded uh, tomato toast yeah. with extra mayonnaise. And then my second thing would probably make caprese salad with some really good, like, buffalo milk mozzarella. I think this is where we differ. I think, really? like, I think my salads would vary. I don't think I would make a caprese. I would... Well, I would do one of the three salads that are in the August Simple issue. Good segue <laughs> there. All right, so you have an article in the August issue of Bon Appetit on Stands Now, uh, ripe and ready. You've got like seven recipes in here? Seven recipes. Uh, one got dropped and went uh, on the site. We call that the runt. Yeah. Which one was that? That was uh, a riff on prosciutto and melon. I did uh, prosciutto with tomatoes and fig. Yeah, that one wasn't good. Okay, but let's go. He's getting back to salads. So you've got this. I, I want to talk about, all right, getting back to salads, you have one called tomato salad with warm basil dressing, which very much intrigues me. So first of all, I actually want to read a line from a, from a book for oh, you. Wow. Just, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, I really do love tomatoes that much. It's from Nigel Slater's uh, Tender, uh, a book that came out back in 2009, uh, incredible cookbook. And this is his thoughts on what makes um, a great tomato. A tomato's character is enhanced by a rough life, a certain negligence, a gasping thirst, and the occasional drenching downpour. Pamper a tomato, overfeed it, Overwater it, and you will get a Paris Hilton of a tomato. The rougher time it has, the more ugly its appearance, the more interesting it generally is. Hmm. I like that. Strong. A strong tomato. Yeah. I would also say that, would you agree that Tender is one of those sort of iconic books of this century, cookbook-wise? I do. Th- I mean, I think any one of Nigel Slater's books are, are pretty iconic. I, I would say this is might be my favorite one of his. Yeah. It's so beautiful. So if you're not hip to Nigel Slater, Google him, check him out. Uh, great British cookbook author. Uh, okay, yeah, so let's talk about this tomato salad and the notion that the dressing is warm and how, to, how it all comes together. This is uh, really just taking really good tomatoes. I used heirloom tomatoes here and uh, just sprinkled them with some salt. And then I make this infused oil. The oil is uh, with garlic, thinly sliced garlic, shallots, heat in the form of chili flakes, but if you have fresh chilies, which you'll find at the farmer's market, I would throw some like thinly sliced chilies in there. And then uh, some anchovies, which we're required to put as optional because of you, but... Oh, uh, <laughs> you act, you guys be on the podcast act like I'm the only person in America who has like some anchovy issues. No, no, no. I, th- I think you're the only one uh, at Bon Appetit. At bon Appetit. <laughs> no, that's true. Okay. Uh, sure. So a few anchovies. You bring that up. The shallots uh, kind of soften and warm. They're not supposed to get crispy. They just kind of soften. And then the garlic gets a little bit crispy. The chili flakes bloom. The anchovies dissolve. Uh, and then uh, you season that with a, a bit of salt, and then you take the oil off heat and then throw in basil. Mm. If you can find some opal basil leaves, that's great. Otherwise, the green stuff will do the trick. And then the basil will kind of wilt and scent the oil even more. And so you have this spicy, garlicky, basil-infused oil. Which must smell amazing. It smells point. incredible. And the thing is, like, you could put it on anything. Hmm. But in this case, 
we're kind of spooning over tomatoes, that uh, they get the warm basil dressing, but they also get a bit of, they need some acid. So uh, I throw in some uh, splash of red wine vinegar or sherry vinegar. In, just, into the oil? No, just or, separately, just on the tomatoes. Do you throw that on the tomatoes first? Yep, yep. Question. Yes. Do you, do, you, when, do you pour the oil over the tomatoes when it's hot? Do you let it cool a bit so it's warm? Or what does the temperature matter when it hits the tomatoes? Uh, I think... Uh, Warm, preferably. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can be it could be room temperature. I think, but you don't want it bubbling hot. No, you don't want it bubbling hot. I think the tomatoes will can break down a little bit, yeah. and you already have salt on them, so I wouldn't do that. Uh, you know, what I like about this salad, the photo of it, and what I like about this time of year when you go to the market is that there's some red tomatoes in there. There's some green heirlooms, maybe some yellow ones, and I think that's what's so fun when you go to the market. There's all these different types that look different. And you don't know until you get home how they're going to differ flavor-wise or ripeness-wise. But that's kind of a cool thing about tomatoes. Absolutely. I mean, some, they they might uh, have a higher water content, a lower water content, that, that which that means they could be either sweeter or less sweet. They can be really juicy. They can be really fleshy and meaty. It all depends on uh, which tomato you grab for. Oh, that sounds really tasty. You know what would also be good on that salad? I would – so you've got that yummy – fragrant warm dressing what if you then while after you dress the tomatoes you then shower it with some freshly made oily garlicky crispy breadcrumbs i mean definitely that's like another step you can take this was just more of like grab some tomatoes talk about this on the pot also like i will anytime i have a a a sort of a, a loaf of country bread that goes stale i always save it then i make breadcrumbs with it pulse them in the food processor, throw them in the oven on a sheet tray, olive oil, salt, and then I just keep them like in a mason jar or something. So that reminds me of the, I think, the first thing I ever cooked or remember cooking, and that's stuffed tomatoes with breadcrumbs and cheese. Okay. I know we weren't planning on talking about this recipe because there are seven, so we're not going to go over every one, but you actually have a recipe for stuffed tomatoes, which I I know when we were looking at this article and which recipes make it, which ones don't, and we're like, God, those stuffed tomatoes, they look... So 1970s, are we really going to run a recipe for stuffed tomatoes? You know, I kind of, it was an update. The thing is, with this whole story, there were definitely certain dishes that I wanted to kind of update. The stuffed tomatoes, one of them. Some were just very much recipes that I would develop right then and now and cook. Uh, But with the stuffed tomatoes, I wanted to, I took the breadcrumbs out. What I really wanted to do was just kind of get this cheesy, molten-like mozzarella in there paired with other uh, kind of savory ingredients. So with this, you kind of take, uh, you work with heirloom tomatoes, uh, you remove the seeds, you don't want too much kind of... Uh, well, hold on, before we get to that, you say, all right, so you, you cut like the top off, so like the top third or so, yes. quarter of it, slice it off horizontally, mm-hmm. Then are you scooping? When you say remove the seeds, what does that mean? How much are you scooping out? I'm, I'm, you're removing some of the flesh and and all the seeds. Mm-hmm. And the, are you just discarding I'll, that and or? discarding okay. that? Yeah, all right. you can you can use that for something else you like, but in this case, you're just kind of getting rid of it. And then you stuff it with a mixture of uh, mozzarella, uh, currants, or any kind of dried fruit I think you'd like. But I worked with uh, current. I think golden raisins in yep, that. That's what you call uh, for. Thyme, pistachios. Uh, pistachios, but you could use pine nuts are really delicious here, or almonds, a bit of olive oil, a little bit of garlic, a salt, pepper. Uh, you put the tops back on, put a little bit more thyme around, uh, thyme sprigs around the tomatoes, oil, 
and then you bake them off and the mozzarella melts and it becomes this like cheesy sweet and sour because of the vinegar and currants um, and you have the texture from the pistachios it's very very satisfying i gotta say the photo while it does look a little dated uh, <laughs> it does also look delicious it I looks th- i think that's the creative bubbly team, <laughs> and juicy oh wow throwing <laughs> michelle outland under the bus yeah no it does look really and i i would not i have not I can't. I don't think I've ever made stuffed tomatoes. I've certainly eaten them, but I'm like, huh. It makes you want to rethink a, a classic. Okay, what about? I'm actually curious. Going back to a salad, you have a new and improved Greek salad, and Greek salads are one of those things when you get a good one, you're like, God, this is so good. And then you get some pretty you... bland ones at diners that are just a lot of iceberg lettuce and a few other things. I just don't think I've had a great Greek salad. I think I've always they've always been kind of mediocre. The feta has been off. The tomatoes are not sweet enough. Uh, the There's too much onion. But if there's someplace, if you go to like a good Greek restaurant or something, you get like the big Greek salad with, and there's so much vinegar on there with like the onions and the feta, and then you get like a platter of like grilled lamb chops mm-hmm. and like roasty potatoes and a bunch of wine, and you're like, that's such a good meal. I think my problem is there tends to be too much romaine lettuce in them in a lot of Greek salads. Yeah, romaine or iceberg. Depends on, like I said, depends on what diner you're going to. And in this case, I just removed it all. Oh, wow. There's no romaine. There's no iceberg. I just went with tomatoes, cucumber, onion, feta, but a little bit of an update. But the good stuff. But now in this dressing, are this dressing, are you warming this dressing as well? No, I'm marinating the feta. And that is where the kind of warm oil, infused oil kind of comes to play. But then does that oil then find its way into the salad? The, it will like marry with the tomatoes, mm-hmm. but uh, the dressing itself is more of just like a simple vinegar and oil dressing. And then you do the thing where you you, you chefs, you, you you professionals like to do the, what's the with the lemons? You're slicing the lemons across and then <laughs> toasting them, roasting them? What are you doing with that? I'm, I'm, the marinade for the feta is like this caramelized lemon uh, where I take uh, lemon rounds, uh, brown them slightly in a little bit of olive oil, and then combine that oil with the lemon rounds uh, with some herbs and chilies, and let this feta just sit in there for a little while. Emma, let me ask you a question. Do you ever cook like whole lemons the way that the Andy Baraganis and Allison Romans of the world are always telling us to do? Like, I never, ever do that. When I have it, I'm like, oh, you actually can eat a lemon rind and not be painfully bitter, but I don't think like home cooks ever think to do that. I mean, I will say I did a tomato. And Emma, Emma just, gave, by the way, gave the no, no, I never she, do that. She mug. said no, but yeah. I will say I did a tomato a tomato and chicken stew with caramelized lemon la- a little over a year ago, and that stew, people still tag me in, like, every— Really? Every, yeah, I which one? Swear. Which recipe was that? That was in the Soups and Stews Healthy-ish. Oh, yeah. was that the one that—did was your, did your cover that was—did you make the cover that in I February? got the cover that year, oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, with the pretty backgrounds. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, yeah, that was a cool one. Okay, so this, this has inspired me to make, like, a Greek salad, because I said, when done well, it's like a— a perfect summer salad. I think also visually, I really tried to mix it up where it's like, I wanted not just wedges of tomatoes. I used small, tiny tomatoes here. I love sun golds and cherries, but uh, I think just cutting them in half and leaving some of them whole. And then with the cucumbers, I use just kind of uh, medium sized cucumbers, like Persian cucumbers, and then the feta, the red onion, 
And then I added something that you don't usually see, and that's the charred peppers. Yeah. But I but, think it goes really well. What you need charred red peppers, Jimmy Nardello, which are really popular at restaurants these days, or you can use a basic red pepper. But I think what's neat about this salad also, which as home cooks, I, I don't think we do enough of, but I, when I, I do it, I'm always like, I should do more of this in a salad combining raw and cooked ingredients. Exactly. And you have the really bright just fresh raw tomatoes and cucumbers, but then you've got the sort of caramelized lemon wheels and then the charred peppers and then the soft, sharp cheese. And there's a lot of like sort of contrast going on there, which I really like. I love this one. All right. So I want you to make me, we're, we're going to do, Emma, do you know that Andy and his boyfriend are going to come over for dinner one night <laughs> okay, to, the, now, to the Rapid Buck house. Now everybody knows I'm taken. <laughs> yeah. Now, oh, well, well, yeah. You, is there something wrong with no, no people knowing I, that? No, no, no. I just I don't announce it. I'm just I'm, I feel like I'm pretty private about it. I mean, I post photos of it. Do you want people to think that you're not taken? No. Well, it sounded like you did. I don't know. <laughs> but I think that would be a good meal. We'll make you. How about this? If you make the Greek salad. I'll make the lamb chops. Perfect deal. Hundred percent. All right, done. You can bring a bottle of wine. We'll, we'll bring a Great. bottle of wine per person. <laughs> That's another thing. When you come to the house, so if you're coming to the house with a date for a dinner party, to another couple, let's say, are you bringing one bottle of wine or two? Uh, uh at least two, if not three. Really? Oh wow. yeah. Generous guest. Oh, Going to yeah. invite Andy over more Big often. Time. This is a classic one. I've got a couple more recipes before Emma tells us it's time. She does the little thing like where she makes her finger go in a circle, oh, like yes. let's go. Oh, yeah. This is a classic, but again, andified pan con tomate. Oh yeah, I was so excited to do this. I just knew it, this is a recipe. I knew exactly how it was going to look like before I even made it. I knew I wanted to do a riff on pan con tomate with a bunch of different colored yes. uh, toasts, and that's what you see in the photo. There are anchovies on there again. Somehow that ever. got the, well. That's true. There's what's nice about this. So there's there's like the toast cut into like triangle wedges, and only three of the six have, have an anchovy <laughs> on it. So that those are for the anchovy lovers, and then you have ones that aren't. So yeah. So how does this differ than the classic Spanish pan con tomate that you'd get at in Barcelona at some tapas bar? Or okay. So traditionally, you'll just see like a stale piece of bread, uh, and you'll take like a really ripe tomato and rub it on that stale piece of bread, and then drizzle with a bit of olive oil and salt. Maybe it'll get pepper, and that's that. That's what about how, garlic? Uh, I guess so. You if, yeah. when it's warm, you'd rub it with some garlic. In this case, I start with a big loaf of bread. I use ciabatta, but any kind of large loaf, cut in half. You cut in half. You cut in half lengthwise. Yes. And then okay. Yes, and then I drizzle with oil, and then I bake it at uh, 300 degrees, really low and slow until it's completely stale. So until oh. yeah. That's oh, so then it'll trick. get then it'll absorb more of the juice. Exactly. 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 I want to control. Cooking professional Andy Baragani, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I wanted to control how the the bread. I wanted to stale it myself. Yeah. I didn't want to yeah. just let it uh, sit out. And then when it came to the tomatoes, I uh, you just take a really ripe. I used different colors, obviously, to get different um, colored toast. I uh, just grate it on a on a box grater. No, wait, no, hold on. You, you have the toast. You're, but you're not rubbing the tomatoes no, on the toast. No, no, no. This you're is where I break tradition. You're grating tomatoes on a box grater. And so you grate, you grated some green ones, some red ones, some orange ones all separately. All separately, yeah. Obviously, you don't have to do that. You could just do whatever kind of color tomatoes yes, you have in sure. mix. But you grate it, and then you usually will, when you're grating tomatoes on a box grater, you'll have the peel left over. Mm-hmm. 
And rather than discarding it, there's a lot of flavor in that. I just kind of finely chop it and then stir it back into the okay. grated tomato. Okay. I season that with a little bit of salt, add a little bit of olive oil, and then add a bit of garlic. Excuse me, no, actually no garlic is in the tomato. The garlic is rubbed on the warm toast. And so for that, you just cut a clove, a clove in half so it's flat, and you just rub it on the toast. Exactly. No, Without olive oil or anything Ooh, first, just the toast. Exactly. So that the abrasiveness of the toast sort of leaves that garlicky residue. Exactly. And then you have this kind of tomato salsa of sorts that just has salt and olive oil. And then I just kind of spoon that over the toast and let it sit for a bit. Uh, so the toast. How long is a bit? I would say after like maybe three minutes okay. until it really uh, soaks up the the tomatoes. Because could we we've talked about this before when you're making caprese, for instance, like and same thing. I guess like letting a steak rest, that sort of thing. Like if I'm making a caprese, I want it to rest for like 15 minutes before I serve it. I want all those juices Smart. from the tomatoes to sort of marry with the milky wateriness of the cheese, and then the olive oil gets a little droplets throughout, mm-hmm. and it kind of creates this sort of lazy sort of hot tub of, of goodness. I just suggest, I just looked at the recipe, I just say two minutes. Okay. Uh, so pretty quick. And then you could just eat it like that. I like to finish with a bit of olive oil. So a bit more olive oil. A little bit more olive oil, Uh fresh olive oil, and then uh, some salt. And then I give kind of suggested toppings or sprinkles. It could be black pepper, uh, chopped oregano, uh, your favorite anchovies, uh, and then just eat it like that. So, I mean, this looks like the type of thing people would eat immediately. But let's say you're serving this at a party. Can they hang out for a half an hour if they're on a tray and sort of, or, or will they get too soggy? Do I you think, think they would get too soggy. I think you could probably could prepare them and let them sit out for no more than ten minutes. Yeah, yeah. But those are the sort of things you see them, you smell them, you are, you're going to eat them immediately. Yes, right away. Yeah. All right, let's do the. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the no cook puttanesca, which puttanesca is a classic sauce. How does this one differ? This one differs just like the the title tells you. It's a no-cook puttanesca. So rather than having like tomatoes uh, cook with uh, the garlic and capers and olives uh, in a skillet or pot, this is just uh, prepared uh, off heat. So you still you still have to cook the pasta though. You still got to cook the pasta. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so so you got a bunch of more more of like sun gold cherry tomatoes for this one. I used here two different types of tomatoes for this. So I start off with uh, a larger tomato, usually beefsteak tomatoes. Uh, I like to use for this, and uh, I'll pulse the beefsteak tomatoes with a bit of garlic, red pepper flakes, uh, some salt until it's very smooth, and then I'll transfer that to a large bowl. Kind of like you would with pesto, you're mm. going to do all the tossing in this in this large bowl, and then I'll add uh, cherry tomatoes. Do you have them first? I have them. You could use sun gold too, but okay. any kind of small, tiny tomatoes yeah. you'll find at the market. The olives, I like the green olives for this, but you could use whatever olives. Yeah, you like. is there a particular type of olive that you? think makes sense for this? I use Casa Vitrano, uh-huh. kind of the mild buttery olive. I like that. I think okay. there's a lot going on with Putinesco with the capers and garlic. Uh, Do I, you I, buy them whole and then smash them and pit them? I always buy them whole and okay. pit them myself. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, I add capers, about a quarter cup of olive oil to that, and then you cook your pasta. I'm using spaghetti here. You could use bucatini. You can use rigatoni. You could also just kind of use whatever pasta shape you like, but those are my preference but for this sauce. Essentially, the the pureed 
beefsteak or whatever sort of large tomato you buy, that provides the body to the sauce, that kind of? That provides the body, yeah. Interesting. And then uh, you're going to cook your pasta all the way al dente. You're not going to kind of go two minutes before it's al dente okay. and emulsify it with yep. the sauce. Uh, so you have your pasta, you save some pasta water, and then you add the pasta to the bowl uh, with the puttanesca sauce, a little splash of pasta water, and uh, some butter. You're still, oh my God, you and the butter. Even Always. You don't have to add butter to no-cook puttanesca. You, you, uh, so I did try it without the butter. What about just a little more olive oil or something? I Listen, I love butter. I am Mr. Butter guy also. I just don't gonna, know if you I'm, need it, I'm going to tell you this. This is the reason why I use butter for, for, this, uh, for this dish. It's because uh, when you're cooking puttanesca, the flavors kind of uh, mellow out. They marry together. With this, it's all fresh. And I need the kind of fat content from the butter to cut through it. To I prefer it. the sharpness of the, to the, the, the ingredients, the olives and the capers, etc. Exactly. And hmm. I don't think olive oil does that trick. Okay. So All right. That's my reason. And it's only three tablespoons. Yeah. <laughs> three <laughs> tablespoons. Good Lord. Okay. You can find Andy's article in the latest issue of Bon Appetit on newsstands now. Uh, it's called Ripe and Ready. Seven beautiful... Tomato recipes and one you can even find online that did not make the cut. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Andy. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Carrie Polis and Christina Che and produced and edited by Emma Wartsman. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wartsman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.